0: Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host Sam Davis and today I'm bringing you the latest episode of our Innovators on Innovators series. This time Andy Olshawn, the Founder and Technical Director of 3D Printing Consultancy at 3D Squared, is joined by Pat Warner, Digital Manufacturing Manager at BWT Alpine Airform the pair first began working together in the mid-90s, with Andy helping Pat and his team apply a technology known at the time as Rapid Prototyping. Then they were 3D printing suspension uprights and wind tunnel models, while entertaining the idea that one day they might additively manufacture an entire F1 car. Today they reconvened to discuss some of those early applications, the challenges they had to overcome a over nascent technology, educating future generations, and their big concerns around how 3D printing is being used and marketed. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more Additive Insight, head over to t3magazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly Additive Insight newsletter for free. Hi,
1: mate. Good to see you. And you, how you doing? All right. Yeah, not too bad, mate. It's been a long time since we've uh started working together. It's nearly, I think it's 27 years now. Mm, yeah,
2: 27, 28,
1: something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. we've done quite few things we, together. 98, we got our first machine,
1: so it was before that. So yeah. Yeah, so uh one of the things we were discussing the other day is we went to work for 3D systems. One of the things they asked me was who else can use this technology? And at the time, as you know, it was called rapid prototyping. So I just said, well, F1 is a full-time rapid prototype. It's always changing. Who's talking to them? And they basically said, nobody is going on with it. Uh, So that's when we first met, I think. So do you want to just explain to the audience why you were looking at 3D printing then, or rapid prototyping in in the old days? Well, that's a bit of an interesting one. Our, our ops director at the
2: time, um, he thought it looked cool and we should have one. Um, outside of that, we didn't really have applications for it other than knowing we could we could make 3D models and put them on a bench. Um, the materials then weren't as good as they are now. There wasn't the range of materials there is now. Um, And certainly there weren't any tough, strong, stiff, water-resistant, heat-resistant materials like there are now. So it was a bit of a different world. Um, But yeah, no, it didn't take us long to figure out what we wanted to do with it. We just had to sort of push it along in the direction we needed to go.
1: Well, I remember one of the first things that happened when I went to F1 teams, which um, I know you all keep things secret, you know, separate. Which and this is what I found a bit strange when I first went into all the team. Everyone wanted wanted to make the suspension upright using quick cast, and then having it cast into because that was taking four weeks weeks to machine one. So I found it really interesting that even though you don't talk, you were always all of you were trying to do the same part. Now I know. Uh, nowadays, I think the majority of what you guys use it for is wind tunnel testing. So how did you go from um, wanting to make a casting part, which has never been done before, uh, to more wind tunnel stuff? And what's the percentage of both now? (coughs)
2: We sort of yeah, that's a that's a an interesting an interesting question and statement. And, and going back to the Formula One teams, don't talk, but all want to do the same thing. It, it's it's kind of a bit bizarre that we don't talk, because um, in reality, the the applications are very similar, and what we want out of it is all very similar. and And if we sort of put ourselves forward as a as an industry rather than small Smaller considerations, we we might get further faster, or certainly we would have done in the earlier days. Now it's not so bad, um, but yeah, no, we we kind of use it for everything and anything, um, and wherever it fits, and in some places where it doesn't fit, but it's a, it's a tool we have and it, and it kind of works. So casting was an interesting one. I don't think we ever ended up casting the outbreak because not long after that. MMC's turned up um, metal matrix composites as uh, an aluminium with um, with a ceramic composite core. Well, not core filler, and they were much stiffer and stronger. And we reverted to those quite quickly. And the titanium upgrades dropped, <clears throat> but certainly at um, Renault or Benetton, as it was then, we were looking at casting gearboxes, diff caps. Uprights, not uprights, um suspension rockers, roll loops, and we became very proficient at QuickCast. So much so that the foundries ended up coming back to us and asking if we would produce things for other people, which wasn't the gig we were set up for at the time. Um, aerodynamics was a, a difficult nut to crack because there was nothing really strong, stiff enough, lasted long enough and that would that would work in the tunnel and the head of aero at the time. I, I was I was I had two jobs at the time. I ran I ran the SLA machine but I was also CAM. So I was computer aided manufacturing. So I was doing um five axis programming. And all of our wind tunnel model was cut on five axis machines. So I knew the queue for that. So if I got a model that I thought, well, they were gonna to take too long, I'd also SLA it. And then when they came over we saying, when can we have this bit, we really need it. We'd say, well, it's in a queue, you're gonna have to wait a week, or you can have this one. <laughs> Here's what I prepared earlier in, in true Blue Peter fashion. Now I'm showing my age. Um, and and that, that sort of triggered a lot more thought and I'd already looked at SLA, but decided it wasn't really a goer and the head of Aero at the time said this this is all right it's fast but it's got no place in the wind tunnel well that was sort of challenged, accepted and and off we went and looking for stronger stiffer materials and at the time there were no filled materials um so it was it was sort of high temperature epoxy based systems was as stiff as we could get and it was all right but it still wasn't good enough
1: so that sort of sent us looking a bit harder but one of the, I know one of the challenges, actually, I think this is why we've done so many things together, is we we both want to solve these problems. When somebody gives us a challenge, we see it like, OK, we're going to prove that wrong. And I I remember when I first started um, and we were doing the quick ask. And then all of a sudden they want it made in titanium and this hasn't been done before. So then I had to go and find uh, a titanium foundry. And you mentioned the name the other day. What was it called? Thetass, yeah. Thetass, yeah. So they were part of Doncaster, and I that's remember right. talking to the, the, the sort of head engineer there, he came over and he I gave him this quick model of uh, a suspension upright and he said, that's nice, but can I have it in wax because it hadn't been done before. And then, we went through it, helped with the process, and then now QuickCast is is a yeah an integral part of having these parts made. So yeah, working with you, especially you in person, you know, I've worked with lots of F1 teams, but it's nice to actually have someone that uh, yeah wants to get off the fence and make these things happen, and that's probably why we've solved so many interesting applications over the years, mate.
2: We've done a few, haven't we? Yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been an interesting journey for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think, like I said the other day, one of the nicest things about all this is you deal with people all over the world, and we've become really good friends just because of technology. I remember coming into your place when I just started with 3D systems, and you were looking at the machine, and this sort of 27 year old artist comes in talking to a load of engineers in an f1 team and you were trying to get an stl file off your your cad system and there was three of you around it and i just leaned over and said is that uni graphics and you go yeah and i said you do this this and this and they both all looked at me like how do you know that and it was just the fact that they had uni graphics at the university of liverpool where i ran the machine <laughs> and i taught myself how to use it so that was another interesting part of it, actually, at the beginning. I'm going into F1 teams, and you guys were only not long had CAD. That was, I, don't, I know when I went, I went to see the guys at Jordan Grand Prix to talk to them about rapid prototyping, and they didn't even have a CAD, CAD system in house. Oh, we'd had CAD for a while by then.
2: So we were, when did we? I started in 88, and I think in 89 our first CAD part came down it might have actually it might have been late in 88 and it was unmanufacturable
1: <laughs> it, it, literally
2: now, it, i mean it would be now it'd be great yeah, now, now you can now it, you
1: but, can make
2: but, it because I mean, then you know as, as a cnc machinist i looked at it and thought you no know, you, you, just, you just can't make that that's that's impossible because <laughs> uh, the designer a, 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 was able to do things he hadn't done before and got a little bit carried away and uh yeah it was it was it was interesting but yeah so we were we had CAD in in the late 80s but only one seat. Um and it was all drawing boards. It was still drawing boards of a bit of a mixture of both actually in when we moved to Enstone and that was 92 and we still had draughtsmen working on drawing boards I guess I guess until the mid 90s. But oh. then but then i moved up to the drawing office in 97 and it was
1: all cad there was no drawing there were no drawing boards left then so hopefully now so it's been 20 odd years 20 25 plus years on some of the applications so let's see if we can talk about a couple of them i know one of the first ones we did was you came to me and said i've got this electrical box uh, i want to get it out if i shield it. can we have a go at doing it uh, and this was before i set up the 3D DC, the coating company with Graham Barton, um, and it was an in- interesting challenge because I found a company up in Rochdale that used to spray all of the Nokia mobile phones with silver. That's how they used to do it. Uh, and I remember you sent me a, I think it was an SLS box. I had it all painted. They did all the testing. They even put a gasket on it, and then we sent it back to you and. It was interesting the response you got, so you can explain that one. God, I'm not
2: sure I remember the response I got. Now it's so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was an interesting project, and and they weren't they weren't really sure that you know, we, we we could we could make this piece of plastic and then and then coat it and get it to work as 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 it should do. But it was, um, if I remember rightly, it went into the bottom of the car. And there used to be, and there probably still is, a sensor in the floor of the car, so the FIA could tell if we moved too early before the lights went out. All oh, right, and um, and and that's that's what that particular box was for. Um, but they, yeah, it, it was it was it it kind of blew a few minds that that we could make that happen and make it work, and and it would work, it would function as it was supposed to. Um, And they were still nervous about using it even after that. You know, it it didn't really, it it didn't take off quite as fast as it should have done. Um, Took about 10
1: years, didn't it? uh, Something like that, yeah, yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah.
1: And we always say, that's one of those things we say, I remember coming to your place one day and you opened your drawer and you pulled this box out and you went, we're 10 years behind where we should be. And then you put it back in the box. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the, you're like me, you want to, why not, let's push it, you know, and that's, I think your team is one of the ones that actually does push it the most. And I think that's because of your influencer. We're one of the, well, I don't know. I've not worked anywhere else in F1. I've only worked in that team. And yep.
2: that's that's 34 years now. Um, but I always get the impression, talking to other people, that we're one of the, the teams, historically, certainly, that have, have been more, well, it should work. It doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Let's fix it and and so you know when we have an idea we we like to take it through unless it's completely bonkers of course um which does <laughs> which, which does happen uh, but, but we like to take it through and, and see how far we can get with it and
1: and, and make it do what we think it's going to do in the first place so one of the first things i noticed i think and this is when it, you know when i first went into all the f1 genes everybody wanted to do the suspension upright so i had all these cad files on my laptop And obviously it's all confidential, so you don't discuss what's happening with other ones. Now this is 25 years later, we're discussing this. Uh, Everybody's suspension upright was a big round piece of metal. And if you don't know what it is, it's the bit that the wheel fits onto. Um, And Pat sends me this file. Everybody else looks like a big round disc, and uh, a round tube basically with fancy bits on. And Pat gives me this thing that's like a, a letter Y. And it's like, that's a bit different. And in the end, you have three mounting points and Pat and the guys there, they got rid of all the extra weight that all the other teams were still using. And again, this is 27 years ago, so it blew my mind that everybody was thinking in one way in this particular team, at the time, I think it was Benetton, were just like a bit more radical I can't claim any
2: responsibility for that that was done by someone far cleverer than me but yes it was it was different um it was a a, quite a, quite a quite a big step change that one and and uh, and the guys that did that did a fantastic job
1: yeah it's uh, it's been interesting i know i've been sat in meetings with you guys and uh, we've had both had people say that that we've had ideas and then we've been told that they can't be done and it's it's really nice to go back a couple of well sometimes a couple of months later other times a couple of years later and say there you go yeah so
2: it's, we've had some I've had some interesting comments from people over the years I had a chief designer that said you just want to SLA that bear in mind everything additive at that point was referred to as SLA regardless of what the material was or the technology was everything was called SLA as far because that's the one technology we had and And that's what people knew and understood. Um, Well, sort of. Uh, But but the chief designer said, you just want to SLA the whole car. And I said, well, not yet, but one day. (laughs) Uh, And I'm looking around the car now at how much more of it is additive compared to what was then, which virtually nothing was directly on the car because there weren't just weren't the materials to cope with it. but now there's a there's an awful lot from from various different technologies and machines in in rubbers and plastics and metallics and filled materials it's 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 interesting times and it's continuing to grow and get better
1: so yeah when you mentioned rubber there i remember one of the projects we did was you came to me this was when i set my own business up uh a while ago and you wanted me to get a rubber tire Onto your wind tunnel model, <laughs> and 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 it was like, man, how do we do this? So we ended up I three D printed the the hub itself, so we used um, S L A to do that, and then what you did is you made a quick cast pattern of the interior of the tire, and then using vacuum casting, basically, I put these these three three, three things together. I think there was diff- like two or three different moulds. And then we cast rubber over the top of your your quick cast in- tyre into it, which was an interesting project. But again, it was like five or six different ways to get it done. But it, it seemed to work okay. Didn't we end up with an
2: SI wheel with a quick cast around the outside of it that you cast a tyre over
1: that? Yeah, that's it. So, But basically, yeah, if I, did were, while, I had to we build three models. So one model was the hub. Then I had a hub with the wheel on it. So I had like three silicon moulds. So I'd vacuum cast the internal, then that would go into another mould we'd made from your pattern with the wheel on it. And then another one <coughs> that was the wheel with the tyre on it. And then we ended up, yeah, but it it was complex, but it, it worked. It, it,
2: it, we had a, yeah, there was a, yeah, everything we do is about how we interpret the regulations and, and how we can get the most out of the regulations. And at that point we saw a, shall we say a hole in the regulation that allowed us to take advantage of the shape of the wheel spokes it was limited but there was deemed to be enough aerodynamic advantage in trying it so we would actually gone down the route of sla wheels in the wind tunnel which when you think about wheels in in what weren't the best materials at the time doing something in the region of Eighty miles an hour or something on a rolling road—it's quite bizarre. But <laughs> that's—we no, did have a few failures, and we did have a few fly down a tunnel. Uh, but but on the whole, we we got quite a lot out of that. And uh, but fitting tyres to them was was ridiculous. And and back then we weren't—we didn't. It was long before we had bespoke wind tunnel tyres and rubber proper rubber tyres that we were preloading to get the the shape of the tyre as it would be on the track it was all just a it was as close as we could get to the the shape of the tire whilst it was on the circuit Um, and often they'd been made in carbon fiber and molded which was a long a long old process in itself so being able to quickly turn around shapes and changes and run different spoke shapes almost a number of times a day rather than once every couple of weeks was was quite an interesting concept
1: Oh. I know the other thing is like I said you've always been pushing the same. When we're getting stiffer materials, and then you guys actually bought an octo farm, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a beast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I still have nightmares. So I I don't I still have a nightmares. What, yeah, I, I bet you a lot of people don't even know what it is. So do you want to explain? There weren't many of them around. <clears throat> so if you
2: look at for those of you that have ever seen one or used one or been near one, if you look at a conventional SLS machine with a feed bin at either end and a build volume in the middle, that in itself was quite similar to the OptiForm machine. The difference being it used a paste rather than a powder or a liquid, as SLA. Um And this paste, how can I describe it? It was almost like a dough. It was, if if you've ever used isopon body filler on a car, and those of a certain age will have done in the days when we used to repair our own cars. If you've ever used isopon on a car, this was how this material came out of the tin. And and it was like unset isopon. And the recoating system had two rollers that contra-rotated to lower its viscosity so it could spread a 0.1 layer of this. Paste. That's kind of where the similarity to SLS ended. It, it, it was it was a material rolled out from a feed bin at either end to the to the volume in the middle. This paste was so viscous you could build a four hundred millimeter tall build, and the paste would free stand. There was no vat. There was no no drum. There was nothing for it to sit inside. It just free stood on aluminium plate. But then came the sort of SLA side of it. You needed supports on it to attach it to this platform, otherwise it would move away, even in this high viscosity paste. And it was cured by the same laser as an SLA 7000. Um, So it was a a really wacky thing, but the worst part of it at, at all is, is if you've broken out an SLS build where you've got all your parts in this cake of powder and you brush the powder away, that's great. Think of all those parts as supported, not too bad. Then think of the powder being P38 isopom, <laughs> <laughs> where where it's just constant gloop. And then you've got to get all that material and filter it back out and put it back in the machine so you can use it again, having filtered out all these bits of supports that you've inevitably broken, trying to re- reclaim your parts out of it. So we got quite clever in that and how we could minimize the supports and how we could build things almost directly onto the platform rather than on a, 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 a conventional SLA support, which was kind of at the time what was advertised as the way to do it. Um, and we got quite good at cleaning it. And it was a, it was an interesting thing. It was a French machine that, that had partnered up with DSM, um, Corvesta as they are now, I believe. and. That company sold up to 3D Systems. 3D Systems came to us and said, "You want filled materials? Here you go. Here's a filled material. Here's something stiff." And my God, was it stiff! I've still got, I've still got bits. <laughs> and this was, I don't know, 2002, 2003. I've still got bits of it kicking around the office. I've got a whole rear wing. It, it, it was massively, massively stiff. And there was a little user group because it was, it was only. there were half a dozen machines kicking around or something like that um so there was a little user group and and 3d got us all together to talk on a a relatively regular basis and dsm took me to one side and said so what do you really think of the material and i said it's great but if you can put it in an sla machine and get to run as a something with less viscosity then then we're on to a winner Oh, that's easy, they said. We've just artificially thickened an SLA material, so we can do that for you. And so along came the first ceramic filled SLA material. Um, and there was no real looking back from that. I think I think we had the first VAT outside of DSM and and the company in Germany that was beta testing it for them. Yeah. And then and then all the teams followed suit pretty much straight away. <laughs> yeah, think.
1: that's that's when I um you know, i was the person that was putting this into places and it's I, from what i understand i saw what you were doing with the opto farm and that was amazing that the way that that just stood there without a box around it was crazy and um, but then i remember bringing in a guy who used to work at dsm He's retired now and his name was charlie Kaufman. and don't want to insult any americans but charlie came over and he said well i'm taking it to these f1 teams charlie because they've got so many machines, they're looking for specific materials. And his first question was, what's F1? <laughs> so my answer was, well, you know, indie cars." I said, yeah. He said, it's like that. I said, but better. <laughs> and I ended up taking him to three F1 teams because you're all around Silverstone area. And I remember after he came out of your place, he's like, there's enough business here for me to put a team onto this, to develop that. Uh, resin and that's when they i think what was the first was it proto was the first one wasn't it yeah yeah so that was the first one similar problems uh the ceramic settled the first oh, like a brock <laughs> uh, the first <laughs> the first initial one of the fills i put in um into one company this this material came in i'd say i don't know 25 liter drums and i remember having a drill with a mixer on it And I emptied the resin into a machine, and then I cut the rest out like a knife. And I sent, I sent a picture to Charlie Kaufman and said, "This is supposed to be resin. How many slices would you like?" (laughs) (laughs) But so over time, you know, and then we developed the way that we had to mix things, and that was interest. That was an interesting time because I'm like you. I'm thinking, why are we mixing this? Why? Aren't we continually moving it in the machine? Yeah. Yeah. Now you can talk about this. I think you're allowed to now. Yeah, so basically, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. you're like me, we're like, how do we do this? So Pat went away and well, you can explain what you did, mate. We yeah, we had we had a bit of a
2: problem that it settled so fast. If we ran a 60-hour build, the parts started as heavily filled ceramic and ended as clear resin. So, the mechanical properties we were getting out of the ceramic filler wasn't happening in the in anything over sort of fifty five hours of build time. Back then, machines were a fair bit slower, and, and they weren't the big long beds that there are now, so we were we were building a lot of stuff straight up. that That wasn't going to work for us. so so we had to think about how we were going to keep the mechanical properties for a build longer than 55 hours. And keep in mind how much stuff we were doing. This this wasn't a pair of parts at a time. This was, this was 20, 30, 40 bits being built at a time. So yeah, I looked at it and thought, well, you clearly need to keep the filler moving. So I, I took a vat out of a machine and decided I can forgo 100 millimeters of build height. From, from this machine that would do 589 millimetres I think it was so I welded in two sloping panels into the bottom that came that came to the the base of the vat at the middle of, the, of the, the vat running front to back so my idea was the filler would settle flow to the middle and where I would attempt to pick it up and put it back in the top of the vat So in the bottom of the vat was a drain tap, Uh, so I took that drain tap out and I inserted a pipe with a series of holes in it, a bit like a land drain, and bolted the tap back on again and then connected that to a pump. So I was pumping this heavily filled material out of the bottom of the vat and depositing it back up in the top of the vat through what then was the autofill pipe. Um, That was all right, but the pump wasn't good enough to keep the hose full all the time. So not only was I dropping the resin in, I was dropping in great big bubbles, uh, which, which if anyone's run an SLA machine, you'll know bubbles on the top <laughs> of the vat are a bad thing. Uh, uh, so so I had to fix that problem, which basically meant shrouding the, shrouding the uh, the tube so it was just below the surface of the resin where it where it poured the resin back in again but it worked we got to the point we could that was enough oddly that just getting it back up to the top of the resin the recoat and seemed to move it around enough and we were doing a, a deep dip as well on our recoating so it, the, the movement and the top surface was enough to move that resin around and we were we got to the point we could build for a hundred hours rather than fifty-five, which then was was pretty good. Hundred hour builds were bonkers, but it's it's the parts we wanted and needed and and it was the only way we were gonna do them. So so yeah, we That's, were quite we were quite pleased with that. And it definitely confirmed that what we really needed was filled materials that didn't sell. Or yeah, didn't settle still, as
1: fast. <laughs> yeah, they're still trying. Now one of the things I I came into contact with it was getting this material and then putting it into machines out in the field. And when I first put it into places, you had it caused real havoc with the leveling systems. Uh, and so it was like it wasn't a case of someone tells you how to solve this. We had to work out what was going on. And what I worked out was at the back of an SLA machine, there's a shroud and it's very narrow. And because of the high viscosity, what happened was, When it when you put it into the resin, the because and because of the high viscosity, the meniscus inside this little chamber was higher than the actual surface uh, of the resin in the vat itself. And the, the system got completely confused. And I actually solved this by taking the cover off, run the machine and it built. Then I got a piece of cardboard, built it round it, played with different things. I ended up going back once I got it working, I ended up going back to the hotel. Uh, I had SOLIDWORKS on my laptop, designed uh, a shroud, built it on the machine and put it on the machine. Now, every time I ever did a, an initial fill of the material from DSM, that was the first part I ever did. And again, that's there that are some of the challenges we've had to come across when we're, you know, it, it isn't straightforward as just putting the material in. There was yeah.
2: also the issue that, it, I don't know, you must have, it must have slipped your mind in all these years andy well, the filler settled so fast that the laser in the sensor saw it differently yeah and adjusted the height accordingly depending on what the amount of filler it was beneath it and so yeah. so the level would change as the build as the material settled as the build went on so yeah it was a it was a it was a, it was I mean, interesting it was an interesting time <laughs> we make a presentation we were making some great on that but we had some catastrophic failures, and we were scratching our heads for weeks, thinking, "What the hell's gone on here?"
1: Yeah, I did. I did a presentation on that one at Amug because what what was happening? Because it, the filler settled so quickly, we're getting like this clear film on the top, and then you have a leveling diode which fires down. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Maybe it's not forty-five degrees, but it fires down, hits the resin surface, goes back up, and hits the leveling sensor but because you got this clear film on top, what happened is you ended up with two bins. You'd get one off the top of the, the clear liquid and one off the filler. And that's the, it just sent the uh, the leveling sense of haywire. Like you said, you'd have, you'd come in and the, the, the platform would be continually going up and down. So, but it, it's been, that's part of, I think that's part of why I enjoy what we do is it's nonstop problem solving solution. That's what we do. We solve problems. It's hard to get bored, isn't it? Yeah, even st- <laughs> even now, you know, even the new materials, this always settles less. And I've had I've had some interesting stories with materials where uh fillers have been changed, uh the filler, the ceramic filler had air around it, and when I put it in the machine, it looked like a waterfall on the top. You know, when you get bubbles on the top mm-hmm. of a waterfall, I've had that. You mix it, and I'm thinking, why isn't it mixing in? And basically the filler was floating. So, <laughs> so it's been fun, been fun, but it's like I said, it's the challenge that keeps us going, I think, mate. Another project we did, I think this one took me a long time. I know you came to me and you, we have, I set up this metal plating company um, and they're still going. And Pat came to me and said, I've got a question. I wanted you to try and solve this. He said, I want you to metal plate a part. I said, right. He said, and then I want you to take the part out of the inside of it. So mm-hmm. we've got we've got a complete part covered in metal that this guy says, I want the I want it hollow. So I'm looking, thinking, can I actually plate onto silicon? Yeah, Tried different things. And yeah, I thought there's no way we're going to get this working. But as probably with the same of you part, it's always in the back of your mind. And then two years later, I was in a company in Italy and I saw this like sprue on the floor and it was made out of a black material. And I just said, what's that? I'm giving this, should I give this secret away? I don't know.
2: It's one of those things, Andy, that that we did it or you did it. Um, it didn't take off literally because it was aimed for an aerospace company I was working with. And um but like a lot of these things, stuff that we have done has popped up ten years later and, and been oh,
1: let's do that. And you know, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know man. what I'm like. Yeah, I'm. I'm I want to push this technology. So let's. Ex- I'll explain what we did. <laughs> so this black part from Italy was made from a graphite-filled material, and I just said to the guy, I said, well, i dissolve in anything?" It's a friend of mine in Italy and he said, Yeah, it dissolves in cellulose thinners, which you probably can't buy anymore. So, point. I thought that sounds interesting. So, I took this thing back, goes into the factory, throws it into the process, and puts a millimeter of metal on this pipe. And it had uh, it was like a tube with sprues on it, pretty complex. And then, once it had got the millimeter, it didn't look very good because we didn't control it, it was, it was just proof of concept, really. Drilled a hole in the end got a string, injected uh, cellulose thinners into it and left it in a bucket overnight. And then this thing's hollow. And at the time I was dropping, I think my son was working with me. He was doing his mm. work experience and we were dropping some parts off with you on the way back up. And after the con- after we'd done that, I said, oh, I've got something for you. And I slid this across the table. You're not going to be able to repeat what you said on here because it's, there was bad language, but yeah, it made me laugh. No. It made me laugh. <laughs> so yeah but again that's something that can be done whether there's an application for it who knows but mm. if someone's listening to this and they've got an application for it and you want to talk about it get in touch
2: it was uh it was interesting to have a stiff light oil part which was effectively the nearest way i can describe it there was a thought there was a reason i asked you to do it but by the time we had, we, had, we had sort of sorted it out then Unfortunately, the uh, the company that we were involved with had, had found another route to fix their problem. And as a lot of these things are, once the problem's fixed, then they don't want it fixed again. Basically, I took too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, well, well, you know, that's that's the nature of it, isn't it? Sometimes we can't do everything quickly, eh? Yeah.
1: Sometimes, sometimes you that...
2: have to you have to sort of put it on there and think. Oh, I'll look at that again when I get a minute
1: um well i'm doing a lot of uh, educational stuff now going into schools uh, with a company called creates education and we're teaching kids um how to do this technology and one of the things i always stress to them is, is you never fail and i said one of the things i said you never fail i said the only time you fail is when you quit so mm. the rest of it is learning it might not work but it doesn't mean that further down the line those say attempt number three might help somebody else solve another problem in another application
2: yeah
1: and and i think that's what one of the i think one of the most inspirational talks and it's dead simple it was um paul jacobs did a presentation at one of the AMUGs. uh he was a keynote speaker and he said who knows what wd40 is and everybody does and then he says right well how do you do you know where the name comes from i think you know this one don't you Pat? yeah and the situation the wd stands for water displacement the number 40 is how many times he mixed this thing up until he got it to work now if he'd have quit on number 39 you wouldn't have wd5 and that's what i try and get over to these kids that guy never gave in he learned he moved forward and and i think that's a really good way uh to go through life and and i think what we do with this this technology you know, we're always trying to push the boundaries with it. That's why I like working with you, mate.
2: We had a similar story to that one. Actually, we
1: developed a filled
2: SLS material with Boeing for so on-vehicle, and it's specifically aimed for on-vehicle use. And we were the test bed, and they were the the end customer, if you like. And we still use it a lot. Um, but the number thirty is in the name, and the number thirty was the number of attempts it took us to get this material formulated correctly that it would run in an sls machine and give us what we wanted at the end of it and what we wanted was quite specific um, so we were looking to take away the <coughs> the effects of layering in a carbon fiber filled material and most of the commercial available at the time probably still is <coughs> a very Z oriented or as in Z is as a massive drop-off in performance, strength, and stiffness. And we needed to eliminate that because nothing we did was straight and could be built perfectly along X, which was the only way to get the full mechanical performance out of these materials. And it took us 30 goes at it, but we did it. Uh, And we know it's it's commercially available, because it has to be, because I'm not allowed to run anything that isn't commercially available and put it on a race car. But yeah, it's 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 a good material, and but it it it, you know again if you you at version ten it would have been very easy to go on we're never going to get this
1: to work, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but but if it wasn't for people to think like well, be persistent I suppose is the word. Um, Yeah, I don't like failing. I don't think you are the same. Um, uh, So unacceptable. Yeah, if there's people, if there are people out there like that are going to continue to do this, and I think from what I've seen at a lot of the, the conferences lately, there's a lot of really young, bright kids that are going to really push this technology, and I think having this chat with you now, hopefully if they, if they actually take the time to listen to it, they might realise that, you know, some of us old guys have been like they have, and hopefully they'll uh, They'll hmm. carry it into the next generation. I know we'll we won't stop doing it. No,
2: no. They might have to excuse us for poking fun at them when they come up with the new latest, greatest thing. And uh, and we think, yeah, we did that 30 years ago, but but <laughs> <laughs> well, we couldn't tell
1: you because we weren't allowed to. And t- my personal feeling is I got involved, and I thought within 10 years, we'd be where we are now. Yeah. And it's like 30 years and it's only just starting to take off. And talking to some of the young kids, like I said, the people at TCT and and especially some of the young people I saw at AIMUG this year, their enthusiasm is amazing. Um, I find it really interesting that if I, when I set my business up, I have to sort of go on a credit card and, you know, mortgage the house and all that sort of stuff. And these guys go and get millions now just by fun, you know, I'm yeah. thinking, why didn't I think of that?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no,
1: no, I know. Yeah,
2: no, I've, I've, I've been looking around at some of the some of the guys making making a lot
1: more money than we are out of all
2: this thinking. Mm.
1: It's not all about money, mate. It's no, I know man. it's I not. I, I know it, it, it's keep, not. Keeping the old grey matter working. So where do you see the future of this industry? You know, I, I think it's just, it's still, yeah, 30 years for us is a long time. You know, a lot of people think it's modern and it's new. Um, I think the potential is absolutely huge.
2: Oh, it's I mean yeah
1: it's <coughs>
2: there's a strange perception, isn't it that the 3D printing has only been around a few years. and and I still have that conversation with people that come around the 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 team for a a visit you know, or being shown around by marketing and marketing I always bring them into ADM because it's it's one of those areas that that sort of graphs people and makes them start to think. Um, but the amount of times I've had the conversation of, wait, you've been doing this 24 years, you know, or 18 <laughs> years or 15 years, or, you know, and, and that's, that's been going on for some time. And sort of since the the first people started talking about 3D printers at home was really sort of when it started to grasp, to grab the public attention. And people still think, yeah, no, but this is, this is new, this is modern, how eh? can you have been doing this all this time, you know? and uh, it's, so yeah it's, it's interesting but now it's it's coming on in leaps and bounds and you know the metallics are great the new plastic materials are fabulous there's there's so much further it can go but it, right. it 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 doesn't want people to it needs people not to stop and think we've got that now
1: yeah
2: we've got to keep we've got to keep pushing it along
1: I think one of my, have you got any so I've got a couple of concerns um regarding materials you know I think you've been on a couple of conversations on a group that I'm involved with. And, you know, even when you go into the schools, you say, how many plastics are there? And the kids just think there's one plastic. Mm. Uh, and there's a massive education uh, that needs to be done in, re- in relation to materials. You look at resin, resin printers now. You can buy a resin printer. They get the resin printer. They put it in the machine. You know, one of them says it's water washable. Right, mm. It is water washable, but the waste that comes off it should be disposed of properly. It's probably yeah. going down the sink yeah. because they said it's water washable. Yeah. And I think that's one of my big concerns and hopeful, you know, it, and again, it needs, I think, like people like Cavestro, they're looking into all this now and, and writing new procedures. Uh, you know, how, what what effect the fumes have in, uh, of these materials if it's in your house? And I think that's that's always been a big concern. You know, we were brought up where you got the resin data sheet. You knew all about it. You were trained now to do it. These guys are just buying stuff online in the kitchen. Yeah. And they're yeah, not they're, they're not. the data sheets are available, but it's a, it's a bit. You don't, you, you don't yeah. read it,
2: do you? That's that's the no. thing. I mean, <laughs> you can buy this stuff on Amazon now, you know, but, but do you take all the data? Do you even bother to open it? You just take the resin and think that needs to go in there. It's pretty obvious in the way we go. Um, but yeah, it's it's concerning. It's also concerning now that people can make stuff that really isn't suitable for the application, but yeah. think it but think it is.
1: Yeah, we've had that um, conversation with a few.
2: Yeah, no, a number of people, but it's 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 hard to know where they get this thought process from. Because some of them are even engineers, and that bothers the hell out of me that an engineer can pick up something and think, I can put that on my road car and carry my child in it. And it's going to be fine. Well, it clearly isn't.
1: Yeah. And then,
2: you know, we, we spent years trying to get rid of the hype from the industry, but it seems to be eking back a bit. And there's a, there's a couple of, I'll call them companies, but it's, it's, it's hard to say what they are, but they, there's adverts and videos coming online now that people are taking as gospel and it's back to yeah you know you can do anything you want with these materials and and you can make any part you want and look at what we've done with this and and reality yeah they they may have looked into something but but making it repeatable and doing it at home on a conventional off-the-shelf ebay amazon wherever you got it from printer is unlikely to give the same result but people think it will and and that I think is is concerning
1: yeah I can't remember the name of the machine but I saw one advert and the advert was basically promoting their machine as being the quietest machine in the industry and the way that they showed it was this FDM printer was in a baby's bedroom with a baby sleeping and I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's it's... yeah I kind of get the analogy (laughs) but but uh,
2: perhaps it'd have been better with a you know a a minor
1: bird or something or a. (laughs) One of the things I noticed this year, which is which is something that's really been missing, was a mug There's a lot of companies now that are uh, getting involved in doing exactly what we're talking about. They're analysing materials yeah they're processing materials they're trying to rewrite the sort of um the text sheets of it because you know when i did tensile bars for these things your tensile bar data and how you get it, it was written like i don't know whatever how many years ago before our technology was around
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and it's not suitable for what we want to do with it and that, so there are now there was I, I reckon there were about five or six companies that are going and specifically looking at creating procedures and everything for working with our industry now so that that is something that could help us get to the stage where we're doing rapid manufacturing better
2: i had, a, I had an interest, interesting conversation we went to a rather large research body and and we had an internal meeting about how we were going to proceed with metallics um and predominantly how we were gonna test the metallics and ensure that what we were putting on the car was suitable. And we had had this, this conversation and I said, seven years ago, I put a spec out internally of how we should test metallics and we shouldn't be building a block cut intense samples out of it and machining them because that's not how we use the part. So we should be building the bar, the sample as we want to test it in the orientations, we, we build the parts out. So not in X and Y and Z, Z is fine. Cause it's your worst one, but we should, you know, most of the stuff we aim to build at 45 degrees, cause that's where you get no supports. So, so that's how we design our parts. So that's what we should be building and testing. And the academic at the time who was in with us said, "Wait, hang on. You said this seven years ago. The research groups are only just coming to that conclusion. <laughs> you were seven years in front of of academia, which which impressed
1: my boss." <laughs> oh, I think that's something we've always been doing. You know, I remember when I worked for three D systems and they brought out the. What's it called? Is it the Actua was the first one? Yeah. So that's well, that's, a machine that, print, that was a machine that printed wax, so this is 27 years ago, and I just said to 3D Systems, why aren't you printing chocolate through it? <laughs> and it laughed, and then I think it was like about four or five years ago in Vegas, this chocolate printer came out, and I just thought, man, I should have made one of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's really good to see all this technology changing so much. Um, there's some interesting ones coming along.
0: The no, biotech,
1: the biotechnology is interesting, and I'll. you probably won't use that unless you're gonna do something to one of your drivers. Uh, uh, no, no <laughs> I, I, I have to admit, I find, I find all the medical stuff and the stuff that's going on there
2: really, really interesting and inspiring, and kind of wish I had more of a, a way of of, of getting at some of that stuff. We we do in the brave new world of cost cap, Formula One is changing. Um, so most of the teams now have. An engineering division where uh, you can come to us with a project and say, "This is what we want to do," and and we'd like you to help us using your your expertise in whatever areas. And one of them for us is is we're we setting up a thing called Alpine Labs, and unlike some of the others, where if you come to them with enough money and and pay the Formula One going rate for an engineer they'll they'll help you out we've we're looking at it a different a different way um so we will only take your project if we consider it to have an environmental or a social benefit and we will charge at a rate where we get to keep our staff rather than having to because we can utilize them in other areas so rather than trying to make a profit out of this it's for us it's it's staff retention um because the cost cap is going at such a rate and, and and is moving in a direction where ultimately the teams will have to start disposing of staff Um we're, we're we have peaks and troughs in our workflows or most of the departments do i don't seem to get that luxury um, but, but we get we get troughs and, and and then we can put those designers or those engineers or the electronic guys or whoever it may be into into a project that's external to formula 1
1: that's brilliant so the, so basically it's like me you know one of the things i get a big kick out of is actually giving stuff back and mm. i know i know you do um you've done the same and to see f1 teams doing that now is brilliant you know if we can you know i've just got they're just introducing these things called t levels and that's like technical uh, qualifications in colleges and universities where they are teaching the kids to use the technologies that the actual um employers need now mm. instead of just so you know as we're well aware this is becoming a standard part of of manufacturing for the future so the printers are going in there and and it's actually fantastic to see it happening you know i i went to a school the other day and was talking to there was like 19 14 year old children there three of them had printers at home yeah which i was absolutely chuffed with yeah you know, no, that's great people didn't and i'm like well have you got a playstation yeah you can get a printer for less than the play and they're like what <laughs> Yeah, you know, so but to see to, to go to a school and see three young kids that were building stuff uh you know coming up with ideas helping their dad fix old cars mm. absolutely fantastic that's yeah, when you nice. realize that you know giving this stuff back and Seeing kids with these, actually, like I see them as like they're going to be in positions like you in the future.
2: Yeah, so. yeah, no, absolutely. It's. I used to. I used to um, give an engineering club from a from a school a tour once a year, and as they used to. I think we we lost contact when we had one of our many email address changes, which was a shame. Um, but that was always always interesting to see to take the kids around the entire factory and let them see all the different forms of engineering that we do but it was always the print inside of it that grasped their attention every single every single time and every single one of them stood there in awe at these lasers dancing around you know flashing flashing lights and and everything else that was going on within the machines was was just you know it, it was quite
1: quite fun to watch uh, one of the other industry, uh, companies you've got to really thank is, is uh is we're doing a talk for tct at the moment this one you know i got involved with Spider Man's tct have seen this as well and then i got involved with it just talking and i did it all week absolutely loved it the kids were asking lots of questions unfortunately because of the dreaded c word which is COVID, not the other one over the past few years it couldn't happen this year it started again and i just like to thank tct for for doing that initiative because you know you're inspiring these cho- these kids and you know and also like young female engineers as well there's more and more people that i'm talking to and the kid, you know you've got the women in 3d printing they're inspiring young girls and that's what this industry is all about is inspiring people teaching people and we need the sort of uh the things that tct do along these lines to help promote it more. So a big shout out to those guys as well. Absolutely, it's a great initiative.